Yeah, it's the only building on a university or college campus in the entire country named Veterans Hall. Now, there are other mm-hmm. buildings on campuses that are named after, you know, prominent individuals right. who served in the military <laughs> and, and then so donated forth. a bunch of money. Right. But to actually have it titled Veterans Hall and knowing that that mm-hmm. name is always going to be on the building um, just says, you know, that critical uh, and reinforces that notion from our very opening in 1947, when three quarters of our students were were returning from World War II as veterans, right, and as starting as a GI Bill school to where we are today, that's our support and our service and our way to give back to those that have given so much to our country. Bill Kaczynski is the director of military affairs at the University of North Carolina Wilmington. He is a Marine Corps veteran who has supported the highest levels of decision making. In this episode, he provides some fantastic advice for veterans to succeed and insights into his career supporting student veterans. All of our podcasts will be available on all major streaming platforms, and of course, make sure you subscribe on YouTube. While you're there, check out the description section and follow NDS Show on your favorite social media app. Enjoy the show. Oh, Bill. How did you get to be where you're at? Tell me about that. Interesting story with that. So Gulf War broke out. Um, I was working part-time at a, a medical clinic while I was going to school in uh, northwestern Wisconsin. And there was a retired naval intelligence officer who I worked under. And one conversation led to another. And he's like, you know, you'd be a great intel you know, analyst mm-hmm. in whatever branch. And you should think about doing this. And it was right about, you know, movies coming out, Harrison Ford, Patriot Games, and all oh, this yeah. other. And, you know, I was a geography major, history minor, and all those things were kind of intriguing and so forth. But, I, you know, my, my father served in Korea, and my younger brother was in the Marines, and I'm like, you know, maybe this does kind of sound interesting. So went through the process, and uh, I knew at the end, even if I did military service, my end goal was to maybe work for one of three-letter agencies doing kind of analyst right, right. work. And so... I was at a smaller school and they didn't really recruit at our school. So I'm like, well, usually the only way I'm going to be able to do this is go through military, get Intel background and work my way up. And so Andy Kozan uh, helped me out with that, facilitated a few things. Next thing I know, I'm standing on the yellow footprints in San Diego (laughs) and was uh, in the Intel field and spent five years at Camp Lejeune, 2 MFG2 and 2nd Surveillance Reconnaissance and Intelligence Group and, and just had a uh, an interesting, you know, yeah. time in service. But, you know, it was one of those where, you know, all of those woulda, shoulda, couldas that we always ask when you're in the military. Well, you know, I never went in to make a, a career out of it. But, you know, hindsight was like, God, I would have been retired by now and everything else. But right. I met so many interesting and uh, – just highly capable individuals from all levels. And uh, it really kind of developed what I was wanting to do post-military. And so at the time, you know, I was like, well, my wife had a a budding career. Um, We had talked about a lot of things. You know, I got to do my Mm -hmm. military stuff. She sacrificed. I'm like, okay, it's time for me to kind of allow that other process. And so decided to get out of, uh, out of the Marines and, you know, I was looking, had some opportunities up in D.C., but, you know, a young child, just right. it just didn't fit for me of where I came from and what I wanted to to really do in that kind of environment. 
applied at UNC Wilmington and lo and behold, got a, got a role in the science and math education center. And I'm like, okay, I've got a degree in education, teaching secondary ed, but nothing in science and math. It was all, <laughs> right. you know, art side of the house and, and social uh, sciences. And I'm like, oh God, this is going to be interesting. But that's where I really learned about university structure, about research mm -hmm. um, and the science fields and how critical they are for our youth. And uh, had a blast doing that for, for 13 years at UNCW. And my best friend that I was in the Marines with, um, he had retired out and he was working as a, a GS, I think, 14 at mm -hmm. Rock Island uh, Arsenal. And that was about three, four hours from where I grew up and I was like, yeah, I kind of always thought about maybe going back home or somewhere close to home. So, you know, my son could see his relatives and, and so forth. So out of blue, he's like, Hey, send me your resume. So I'm thinking, Oh, he's got a position for me. And <laughs> right, right, right. right. So I sent him a resume and about an hour later, I'm getting interviewed from a guy from Baghdad asking me if I'm interested in being a database administrator for this new kind of unit that they needed to oversee all the private security contractors. And I was like, huh? Right. What? Yeah. And I'm like, Matt, you didn't tell me nothing. And so went through that interview for about 30 minutes and uh, the guy's like, well, I need a decision by, you know, tomorrow if you're, if you're in and uh, it's 13 month contract and over to Baghdad, 2008, mm -hmm. and I'm like, oh, wow, this is, this is pretty quick. And so quickly got off that conversation, went and talked with, with my wife at the time and was like, yeah, go ahead and do it. But a lot of military folks, when you're when you're in, and, and then when you get out, you always have that scrolled in the back of your mind of like, do I still have it? You know, right. do I still have those skills? You know, it's kind of like a you know a quarterback or someone else. You know, when they hang it up, you know, well, maybe I should have played another year. And so, <laughs> I always wondered if I still had you know the intel skills, and and so I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. And um, so there I was, two weeks later, you know, off to lovely Baghdad for for 13 months. And, uh, and this was 2008, 2008 and nine. So. Um, <clears throat> interesting enough, I was in the green zone for most of the time there. And that was actually the worst place to be because, you know, the right. 120s and 240s are being lobbed in all day long. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but it was such a, uh, unique learning experience. Um, you know, the office that we had, um, reported to the G3 who, who reported to General Petraeus, mm -hmm. reported straight to Congress. So it was very high vis, high level. And what we were responsible for was to rein in all the private security contractors after Blackwater had their, right, right. Uh, their incident. And so, you know, there's 25, 35,000 operating in country without any rules, no frag orders, nothing. And, you know, that was our role. And so it was very uh, high stress, high speed, long hours. And, and uh, but you got to interface with government Iraq officials, Department of State, DOD. And so you really started to learn, like, the big picture. So we actually had um, a station in the Strategic Operations Command, so all the different levels where the war basically was fought. And so I can see on the video screens, there's like 16 of them, and I'm watching live stuff over here. Here's the news, you know, that's mm -hmm. going on, and you know, NBC or Fox, Al Jazeera, and you're like, so you're listening to what each one is talking about when you just watched it live a little bit ago. It's like, <laughs> where did they get their info from? This right, is right. like, it's not even correct at all, or it's like, eh, not quite. But, uh, you know, it, it was just interesting to see how the war effort was going between that and the Department of State, because at the time, they were still building the embassy in, in Baghdad. So 
Saddam's palace was split in half between Department of State on one side and Department of Defense on the other. And so this huge complex, you know, and you're walking around. Was this the Al-Fal Palace? No, that no. was that was uh, Saddam's kind of like personal retreat yeah. palace. This was the one that's right where in, I was. That's where yeah, I was. So I, I was in Al-Fal and it yeah. got the, you know, million dollar chandeliers and, you know, all that <laughs> stuff. Yeah. And that private like lake that he had. Oh yeah, you know, around, yeah. There's was, all these fish there that it, if you walk over the the bridge, bridge every yep, day, yep. you could throw uh, some crumbs in there, and there's a million koi yeah, fish. They exactly. just be swarming in there. So I did a little time for meetings and things in Alpha, but we were mostly in Saddam's palace in in, in Baghdad proper. So um, mm -hmm. you know, just the opulence of everything. I mean, gold plated right. fixtures. You you know, you saw it, and you're like, how in the world? I mean, it was just amazing. And, that man uh, loved some gold. Oh, he? he did. He did. And <laughs> chandeliers. I mean, everything else. And, uh, you know, it, it was interesting because we had a mix in our office. So there were um, four of us kind of civilians with three or four um, regular army. And um, and so collectively in the small little office, mm -hmm. we ran all the, the operations for both static and, and uh, um, you know, uh, routes and everything else. And so... Our end goal was how do we get private security contractors to understand that you don't need to be squeezing off rounds in somebody's vehicle because just because they're coming up behind you, you know, without right. actually employing some, you know, other <laughs> techniques that would say, hey, hey, you're getting a little too close, just back off and, you know, things as well as, you know, at all the sites out there, it's, you know, we investigated negligent discharges, you know, just any mm -hmm. little thing that was going on. That what was the craziest thing that happened while you were there? I mean, unless you were there to understand how different their mindset was for, like, the Iraqis, um, you know, to them, enchilada, you know, it's like God's will on everything. So do I look right or left walking across the street before I just step out onto the street? Well, you know, you're in New York City or someplace. Yeah, you're going to be looking right, left, right, left right. before you step out. You're going to get run over. To them, if they got run over, well, it's God's will. So they had um, – Surely, surely God would uh, yeah, expect yeah. you to look left or yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> you would think that. But, you know, they're going to join their, you know, 71, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it was interesting because their safety procedures were like null and void. So, right. for instance, you know, we had the ballast in the, in, a, in the office there and we needed light fixtures changed out. So these guys would come in, pull down the light fixture, not turn off the juice, wet their fingers, pull the wires together and just start wiring everything oh, live. Yeah. And meanwhile, you know, here's live wires right next to a shower room, you know, and it's mm -hmm. like water everywhere. And it's like, yeah. guys, you, you know, and then they would put up scaffolding in order to repair, like, you know, the wall that got damaged from, you know, some rounds, whatever. So they'd have, you know, a piece of two by four with a shoe and a bucket and everything else at this, <laughs> you know, scaffolding that's five stories high. It is, is resting on it. And this thing's, you know, rocking and you're just like, oh, yeah, just go up there. And I'm like, mm, I ain't going up that thing. Right. But they just didn't understand stuff like that. So, you know, we had some deaths that occurred because there's of, no OSHA in Iraq. No, no, there wasn't. <laughs> and you know, after I got done with uh, that uh, particular contract that I was on, right. I stayed on for a little bit longer and then worked um, for the same company. But they they had a lot of contracts building um, you know, power generation plants, schools, hospitals, and so forth. So. The idea was they would hire a lot of Iraqis, show them mm -hmm. how to build and do the proper safety procedures and everything else. So I was writing like training manuals on proper mm -hmm. procedures for OSHA and everything else, uh, safety, health, the whole nine yards. And, you know, how do you go and bid on a contract? 
And, you know, these guys are like, oh, I got my brother. He comes take care. So we just give him a bribe. I'm like, no, you can't do that. You got to have, th- no, no, we just, this is all good. It's all good. And it's like, no. And then all the safety stuff too. And right. it's like, just didn't understand any of that. But we had in like all of the military side of the house and then like kind of the humanitarian side of the house, um, you start watching a country that had been leveled, slowly starting to be rebuilt from the mm-hmm. ground up. And, you know, you're interfacing with, you know, Ministry of Interior, Ministry of Defense, um, government of Iraq officials, private security contractors and country managers from all over the world. So we had South Africans, Australian, New Zealanders, Brits, you know, Americans all over the place. And so you're trying to navigate that landscape, but get them all to understand, hey, this is the defined mission here. And, mm-hmm. you know, you can't be operating like the Wild West like <laughs> it used to be. And so right. um, at the end of the day, a lot of lives were in up being saved. And so as difficult of, you know, a job it was, um, you felt like you did accomplish something mm-hmm. meaningful. And, and, uh, at the end of the day, that's something that did make a difference. So that's pretty cool. That's awesome. Um, try to keep the mic a little bit. Oh, so, sir, you can either move it or yeah. you want to try to stay about a, a fist length away. Um, so how, how did you, how was that transition from a contractor again yeah. to where you're at now as the director of military. So affairs. that was a big gamble on my part because um, going from a very safe, secure, mm-hmm. you know, state job that, you know, I absolutely loved for 13 years. Now I'm a contractor, which means I got paid an awful right. lot of money. Right. You know, I haven't do my own taxes, you know, file this and all that other. So after the contract <clears throat> ended, I was actually offered um, another six months to stay on. I was going to get promoted, oh, but sure. I was like, I had young kids, you know, I've been gone for 13 yeah. months, missed all the holidays, birthdays, you know, mm-hmm. anniversary, the whole nine yards. And I'm like, nah, it's just time for me to come back. Unfortunately, when I came back was when downturn in the economy, 2009, 10, oh, it was right. like, yeah. so now there was nothing available here. And so I kind of tempted for a little while back at the university. I tried to come back to the university. They just didn't have anything for me. And I'm mm-hmm. like, well... I did bank some good money. I'll just kind of stay at home and hang out for a bit. Yeah, hang out for a little <laughs> bit. So, because of the, some of the skill sets that I developed while in Iraq, um, I was applying for a lot of positions, and I ended up getting uh, interviewed for a position at uh, Kafer Community College. And so, they needed somebody to kind of oversee their Pender campuses, mm-hmm. but also all their workforce development and training with business and industry. And so kind of fit right perfectly into right. what I had just previously done. And so I worked for uh, KFIR for a couple of years, learned, you know, a lot from the community side of the house, but also how you deal with business industry and, and making sure they're getting the necessary trainings and tools and things they need to be not only competitive, but to grow their business yeah. and and so forth and be successful. Cape Fear is a great yeah. school. Yeah. I, went, I actually, after I left the military, I went to Cape Fear Community College uh, and finished up my AA degree, which is what forced UNCW to allow me in. There you go. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, the articulation agreement, which is is great. So I met some great folks there. Um, I had fun for about two two plus years. Mm -hmm. And uh, then the university was like kind of calling me back. They had this new position that was uh, in the chancellor's office doing community partnerships. So I'm like, so I had done all that previously, working with schools and a lot of nonprofits, and then Cape Fear, I was out in the community doing all this other stuff. I'm like, oh, this is kind of a perfect blend of what I've been doing for like the last right. 10, 15 years. So I came back to university and and uh, previously for those 13 years, I was kind of like on the back of campus. So you didn't come to the front of campus where senior administration was very often. And I didn't really see that side of how the structure of the university operated. So now going from where I was to like 
the chancellor's office, now I'm involved, I'm listening, I'm learning like how universities really run. And you always I'd, listen. I'd be interested to learn about that. Well, it, it, are, it, are there some similarities between the way our universities yes. run to the way the military it, is? Very, run? very similar in, in some respects. Um, you know, there's a lot of misnomers like, oh, you know, you're in the the chancellor's office, you know, you must be, you know, getting uh -huh. fed, you know, steak and lobster every day and having, you know, carte blanche. To, no. People there in, you know, in the mm -hmm. administrative building, um, they work just as hard. They're, you know, just just at a different level. But at right. the end of the day, they're people just like us and they mm -hmm. have a different role, a specific role to fulfill. But I have you know, one of my one of my favorite sayings of all time. One of my favorite sayings is that everybody poops. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying that to be coy or anything. It just means that we're yeah. all people. Yeah, you put your pant legs on one leg at you a know, time, some, whatever, same as anyone else. And we all have, you know, trying to, I guess you could say, climb a so certain social ladder or at least get to a certain level of comfort in our own lives. I don't care what level you're at. You know, there's no reason to have a massive ego and be a jerk. Uh, I was lucky enough to meet uh, Chancellor Sartorelli a few times mm -hmm. and just super nice guy. I mean, you, you know, had great conversations with them and super humble. Um, and I hope the new one is, is the same. Yeah. So what's, what's interesting about what you were kind of alluding to there, uh, is people see one side of an individual because, you know, right. they're the lead of the organization and, you know, they have to have a certain persona as well because, you know, you're, you're at a very high level. They have to interface with mm -hmm. business and any industry leaders, you know, elected officials, the whole nine yards. But what they don't see is that, kind of personal side to somebody at that level. And so right. before uh, Chancellor Sardarelli came, uh, Chancellor Miller um, was very um, personal about always wanting to know, hey, how's the family doing? You know, how right. do you need help with the kids or, you know, this or that? And he's always asking students, you know, you know, what's next for you here? I mean, just taking that personal, like, mm -hmm. interest in no matter if you were a faculty staff or a student. And a lot of times that doesn't get conveyed to the, you know, faculty or other staff right, right. that don't see that. So I saw, you know, Chancellor Miller in, when he came and went, and then we had an interim chancellor, uh, Cedarberg, who was, you know, a complete opposite personality-wise of, right. you know, the previous chancellors. And knowing that he was only in that one-year interim role, he was just kind of like a breath of fresh air, you know, um, just upbeat, lively, and so forth. And then, you know, watching as the search unfolded for Chancellor Sardarelli. And so when Chancellor Sardarelli came in, you know, I was kind of tasked for um, partly – putting together kind of like the welcome packets for him, like for he and, and Mrs. Sardarelli Kathy. And so it was like, here's all the elected leaders and what they look like, the roles, where they're from. Here's all, you know, the business and industry. Here's all the school. Right. And so he, it just helped them, you know, get a better grasp on right. what this community was like. Yeah. Into. So, you know, felt like I was doing a, a pre-deployment brief or something like that for the CEO, you know, <laughs> as the new chancellor is coming in. But um, again, you know, Chancellor well, kind of is because they get their own house. Yeah, so. it, yeah. You, get your own house. It's a big deal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I had very in-depth one-on-one conversations, car rides with Chancellor Sardarelli. And again, I mean, guys lived all over the world at some of the highest levels right. of positions and so forth. Very well read. He's got like a 10,000 book library of, of stuff and just unique stories that he's, mm -hmm. you know, had from years of, you know, living in, you know, the Far East, the Middle East, Latin America, all over the place. Mm -hmm. And so I got to see that and hear that side from them. But we'd have some very in-depth conversations and, and stuff. And uh, so that was kind of kind of unique and stuff. Yeah. But uh, now our current chancellor, uh, Chancellor uh, Valetti, um, 
I, I'm just so excited about serving mm-hmm. under his leadership because he had obviously, as you know, the been the previous dean. And so I worked with him on a lot of things and was part of the provost leadership team as well as the other deans. And so I developed a personal relationship with with him and, and his family um, before right. he's, you know, went down That's the road. That's good. And so it, it's one of those where, yes, I have kind of a personal friendship, but I have the ultimate respect for for him as our, our senior leader and his role as chancellor. And, you know, it's just like knowing mm-hmm. a general on the side, but then I'll, you know, provide right. that respect for somebody that's, you know, attained the level that they have. And so um, I'm excited about his vision for for the university, right. um, the way he approaches his day-to-day routines and his huge, huge support of our, our military veteran populations here. And so for me, that's very exciting. And Reassuring as well, because you, you right. never know when the yeah, new yeah. leader comes in. You know, yeah. are, are they going to support the same things that you know you're <laughs> you're operating under, and and uh, and that's not a concern, which is you know so reassuring for what I'm trying to accomplish within our office, but also you know our greater community. And so, right. you know, you know that people will see through somebody if they say one thing and don't back it up or anything <laughs> else. But I, I yeah. don't think that's ever going to be an issue here. Um, so that, that brings up a great point. I'd like to learn a little bit about Veterans Hall and that, how that became a thing. Um, so Veterans Hall at University of North Carolina, Wilmington, as far as I know, is the only building without a name on it other than Veterans. You know, is that going to get changed to so, yeah, you're, Bill Kaczynski Hall? No, no, no. <laughs> no. And that's the whole beauty of the foresight and wisdom of our leaders back when um, – the idea of hopefully getting funding to have our quad, our health sciences quad, and that's what it's kind of termed is. Mm-hmm. So you have McNeil Hall, you have the teaching uh, lab, and then Veterans Hall. So those kind of like four buildings per se um, really completes a health sciences quad. And that was kind of okay. the long-term strategic, strategic plan that the university developed years ago that that's what they had wanted because the health sciences area is such um, a huge need for – you know, our populace, you know, I mean, right. a lot of nurses, psychologists, uh, health professionals, anyone in those, you know, social workers, all that is such a great need. We, we can't turn out enough students to meet the needs right. of society. And so um, having, you know, veterans hall there. And so at first it was called the Allied Health Building. And then you're always going to like, okay, it'll stay Allied Health Building until they can find somebody that's going to give right. them a, a lot of money to the university to put their name up on there. Well, we had a couple of trustees um, who thought that, well, maybe we should name this Veterans Hall. And they did their research. And, and as you stated, yeah, it's the only building on a university or college campus in the entire country named Veterans Hall. Now, there are other mm-hmm. buildings on campuses that are named after, you know, prominent individuals right. who served in the military <laughs> and, and then so donated forth. a bunch of money. Right. But to actually have it titled Veterans Hall and knowing that that mm-hmm. name is always going to be on the building – um, just says, you know, that critical uh, and reinforces that notion from our very opening in 1947 when three quarters of our students were were returning from World War II as veterans. Right. And as starting as a GI Bill school to where we are today, that's our support and our service and our way to give back to those that have given so much to our country. And, and so for me, it's just – being able to come into work each day, you know, and you see that right. name up there, but know that I'm part of something that hmm. is very unique. But at the end of the day, it reinforces what our our mission is to our our students and our community that, hey, we're here to serve you. 
And is that so, is that where the Office of Military Affairs is at, I assume? So that okay. is correct. So when when we got approval through the bond issue that we were mm -hmm. going to get this building, then it started working with the architects. So we actually had the dean of the College of Health and Human Services, which was Charlie Hardy at the time, and the dean of the College of Arts and Sciences, which was Aswani Valetti at the time, and then our wow. office all meeting to figure out what's going to go in this building. How are we going to design mm -hmm. this building? And the interesting thing with UNCW is that obviously every building on campus has that Georgian architecture, very, all looks right. the same. It's a beautiful campus. Right. Beautiful. And so do we want to have the same interior look to the building as a lot of the other ones, you know, your cinder block walls that are painted mm -hmm. in your classrooms and so forth? Or do we want to have something that really defines this building and its mm -hmm. really importance to not just the, the community, but to the students that were turning out through mm -hmm. the programs. And so uh, Dean Hardy and Valetti, you know, traveled around, looked at some of the, the you know, newer buildings around the country and, and how they were doing allied health. And, and so everything was very intentional, very interdisciplinary, very collaborative. In fact, when most buildings, you know, are, are built, usually the Dean suite and everything else has got like the, you know, right. Primo real estate for, <laughs> for the building, the best views. No, the best views in the building are actually for all for students. And it's uh, that kind of sky bridge that kind that's of great. bridges. That's the way it should be. And that's exactly it. And so the whole idea was let's have these interdisciplinary um, problem-based learning rooms. There's 10 of them in that bridge there that promotes students to come together, talk, mm -hmm. work with the graduate students or their faculty to come up with solutions to problems that they're given to, you know, how mm -hmm. you solve this or how do you, you know. And so – to see how the, the facility is laid out and the importance of the programs that are in there, um, we do an awful lot with, with, with the military. And it's exciting for me now to be that kind of bridge for faculty that have an interest and in, in have certain expertise mm -hmm. to get them to understand that they can do research with the Department of Defense, with our veteran right. populations, as opposed to maybe just, you know, NSF funding or typical NOAA or NIH. And so now we're doing just that. So mm -hmm. we're, we're branching out with a lot of opportunities working for and with um, DOD entities, which obviously, you know, touches me, you know, for somebody that, you know, serve time. But, you know, it, it solves a, a great problem. You know, we're, we're helping the military. We're getting our students, a lot of them that are military, to mm -hmm. do, be a part of the research. Faculty are getting funded to do this. And so everybody wins. Yeah. And, and so um, our students and our future students, I think, are really starting to see that, mm -hmm. you know, this building really is a, a draw, not just having the name Veterans Hall, but it's what's happening within the building yeah. and, and that greater health sciences quad that really is, is promoting, you know, what we hope. I think I think it's awesome that it's it's named Veterans Hall. You, I mean, the school could probably name anything, <laughs> you know, based on their donations. But uh, when I was going to school there, military affairs was just like in some back office near, I think, the library somewhere. Yeah, and uh, it would be really welcoming as someone coming out of the military or even maybe even still serving that wants to go to school. So just have a place that's like, oh, that's my home. That's yeah. that's where I go because, you know, veterans have unique issues dealing with finance. You know, a sure. GI Bill is kind of a funky thing. You know, how do these grants work? You know, um, typically military students are a little bit older, right? So what are, what are maybe some of the other issues that – So I'm glad you brought that, that up. So back in uh, 2016, I was still working in the chancellor's office and – 
I was at a conference for community engagement. And while I was there, I got an email from the chancellor that said, hey, Bill, um, I'm thinking about appointing you as director of military affairs. See me when you return. I'm like, military affairs? What the heck is that? There was no no office of that. So I I ended up getting back from the conference and I go into his office and he said, sit down. Uh, So he and the provost were were sitting there and he's like, look, um, I want to create an office of military affairs. I want to appoint you as as the director. And what I want you to do is I want you to serve more of our military students. We're next to the two largest military installations in the world. We need to be serving more Mm -hmm. of these individuals that have served us. So he was, you know, Increase enrollment numbers for them, which is what you want to do, but, you know, obviously programs and so forth. So I gladly jumped at the opportunity. I mean, this is like, you kidding me? This is a dream job. And then I realized after he had said that, he said, oh, by the way, um, in two weeks, you're going to brief the board of trustees on what the new (laughs) Office of Military Affairs is and what it's going to do. And I'm like, oh, great. Okay. (laughs) So I'm this new director. Uh, I don't have any office space. I don't have any staff or personnel. I don't have a budget. And I've got to brief the trustees in two weeks on what it is this new office is going to do and how they're going to do it. So <laughs> I'm literally flying the plane as, you know, I'm building it, so to speak. Like but a startup. Yeah, exactly. And so, again, but I think it was a combination of all my previous roles that I've had mm-hmm. building up to this that give, gave me some specific skill sets, but also sitting in that chancellor's office and seeing how things operate that mm-hmm. – if I didn't have any of that, there's no way I don't think I could have done this successfully. And so I thought about it long and hard, and I came up with kind of five domains that I thought I needed to concentrate on. And after I came up with those, I went back to the chancellor and I said, you know, sir, um, I got to tell you right off the start here, though. Yes, I accepted this role, but I can't in good faith honor your your immediate request to bring in more students and doing more for them until I can figure out who our current students are mm-hmm. and helping them first. Because if I can't take care of the ones we currently have, how am I going to do that for more than right, I'm bringing right. in? And so that actually opened up. About what year was this? 2016. Okay. So how many students were at UNCW then? Uh, we were what around 14,000 okay. or so. And we, what I was able to get from our institutional research, we were about 1,500 military students that they knew of. And so his, his goal was in his five years for his strategic plan was to get military students to 2,000 students. Right. So within a year and a half, we got to 2,000 students. Nice. And it was a matter of now, because I had been at the university and I knew all the different you know departments mm-hmm. and players and key areas, how do I kind of collaborate and use the, you know, the structure of the university as this great team in order to bring in more mm-hmm. students, but also provide the necessary resources and services. So we had a very small space inside Warwick Center is, was our original office space. And I mean, it was, it was situated in a perfect position because right across the way was the Office of Scholarships and Financial Aid where like all the GI Bill information right. and certified officials were at. It was by parking and student accounts mm-hmm. and cashiers and so it was a good location. It was just really small. So at best, we could fit about 20, 22 people in there. And, you know, I wasn't complaining, but, you know, we tried to make the, the space kind of like a little mini USO as much as we could. Right. And very successful. Um, you know, after two years, we won a national award for being the top educational institution for military students. And, you know, that was just 
you know, a combination of everybody at the university all collaborating mm -hmm. and, and figuring awesome. this out. And so, you know, I was so proud to fly to San Diego and national conference and get this top award amongst all these universities and stuff. And wow. uh, so we, we had some new programs that through great staff that I had working, uh, working with, um, we brought some national programs. We were mm -hmm. the first hiring our heroes program with us chamber to be at a university um, association, United States army. We, we were the only, uh, university that has a sub chapter here in North Carolina. Um, but all these things were, were great things to bring to campus to open up, you know, the mm -hmm. aperture for, you know, how do we serve these folks in a right. variety of capacities? So, you know, we kept moving forward, but, um, when we got the, in 2018, oh, we're going to, you know, build this mm -hmm. brand new building. Now things started like, okay, what do we want to be in this new facility? It's going to be, you know, Allied Health Building and then right. it also became Veterans Hall. And so I thought long and hard of the current facility that we were in and the challenges of space that we had. Now I've got, you know, five times the space. Right. How do I partition this space out to make it the best useful space mm -hmm. for our students? And so that was that was my chief concern. So I did a lot of, you know, research myself, but I really wanted the focus of the, the space to be very high in USO. So when you first come in, that first reception area, we're going to have somebody right there immediately. Hey, mm -hmm. how can I help you? You know, we're here to you know serve you type of thing. Be very inviting. But knowing that we had a huge transfer population of commuting students. Right. So I wanted a nice kitchen that had the features they needed. So when they come to school, hey, drop off your food and refrigerator. Here's a place to heat it up. Or here's, you know, we can cook and do all these other things. But I also wanted to have a space that's separated out for where people come to just, you know, smoke and joke, so to speak, you know, sure. military yeah. stuff to where we needed a quiet room all the way at the very end where some folks just need absolute quiet space. A military safe space where we there, can where yeah. we can curse loudly. Yeah, no well, and that, that does <laughs> happen. And so there was times that I have to, you know, put the curse jar out there. Hey, drop a, drop a dollar in the kitty for, you know, we'll have a nice... Nice lunch one day from, you know, your... You have to keep the military safe space yeah, away yeah. from the normal student yeah, safe space. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it, there were times when, you know, you, you still have to like, hey, 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 you know, type yeah. of thing, earmuffs, you know, type of stuff. But um, overall, though, the students that um, saw what the old space was like, mm -hmm. ones that didn't have a space like like yourself, per se, and now what we have, it is just, it's, it's night and day. It's awesome. Um, it makes you... Want to come into work every day because you know, at some point during the day, you're going to be helping out students in a time of need right. and also working with what, community members. So. What types of of problems and challenges are students coming to the office with? Uh, I mean, obviously the first one is the just that transition because we all know when we've mm -hmm. gone through that transition program, it is not really what it really needs to be, and. Mm -hmm. To prepare you to go from military life to civilian life. And then for a lot of our students that, you know, are a little bit older and it's been a while since they may have had classes, you know, what's it like sitting next to an 18 year old kid in a class who, right. you know, is a whiz bang and calculus or whatever. And it's been eight years since you've had, you know, algebra. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so those are some challenges. Obviously, GI Bill always has some challenges and it's things that mm -hmm. a lot of times we can't control on our end. We just can be that advocate and reaching out to the VA to say, hey, where's where's the disconnect? When's, when's this coming through? Um, Sometimes, you know, the GI Bill doesn't pay for everything. And so, right. you know, those are things that, you know, we're very cognizant of that, okay, we need to reach out and get some scholarship funds coming in that in case, you know, we've got mm -hmm. an emergency. We, we had a student... Uh, 
two semesters ago that, you know, was a reservist, deployed, came back, and his apartment was broken into, stolen everything, laptop Jeez. and everything else. And that's where his school work was on. So right. how do we get him up and running? Okay, so we've got some emergency funds. We'll get so him here. So his dog really did eat his homework. Yeah, basically, yeah. And so, you know, just providing funds that got him back up on his feet, um, got him a new laptop so he could mm -hmm. at least get the classes and, and still maintain some sense of, well, at least this is a common that I've got. I can come to school each day and I'll rebuild the apartment, you know, and some of my belongings. But, you know, how do we get them to come to campus? Because for a lot of these students, this is their job. Right. As opposed to, you know, the 18-year-old kids are still trying to figure out life. You know, these folks have already figured out life and then some. And so they consider coming to school as a career or a job. And so they want mm -hmm. to come in, maximize their time, get through everything as quickly as possible, walk across that stage and either go on to grad school or get that job that they need mm -hmm. because a lot of them have families and responsibilities. So there are hiccups along the way. Life happens. And so that's where we come in and help them navigate not only the university, but also mm -hmm. the community. And so developing a lot of great partnerships with a lot of our military and other community organizations um, is critical for the success of our operations, but, you know, the success for our students. And so that's where I'm really starting to focus an awful lot on is mm -hmm. out in the community and how we can partner with them to provide opportunities. And whether it's career paths, whether it's just internships, whether it's just knowing where to go when my car breaks down, who I trust in town, where do I go? Right. Housing, the whole nine yards. So. The, um, does the office ever deal with suicide? Unfortunately, has, yes. Has that been an and, issue? and that's that's an issue that um, it's hard to uh, talk to the other folks on campus about at times because you know we have resources on campus, the counseling center that does provide those resources. But we all know most of the military folks don't mm -hmm. trust anyone else other than somebody they know that can right. wants to you know hear them out, and so. Having access to those resources out in the community that are specifically interacting with the veteran population is important. So now I can make a quick referral. I, I know exactly. I can read somebody. I know when something's going on. Mm -hmm. People have confided me. And so I will let our counseling center know that, hey, we've got some students that have some issues, but they're going to go see you know these resources out in town because they know how to understand that population and they're probably going to get a quicker, you know, return on interacting with them. And right. so, so, the, so the university doesn't have mental health professionals well, no, we that do. are meant for veterans. Um, so they do have mental health professionals, mm -hmm. um, but you know, you, you've got 18,000 students. So, you know, you have to come in and make right. an appointment. It's almost sure. like going to VA, take a number and wait, yeah, yeah. you know, and you can't do that sometimes with, with folks that are, mm -hmm. are having, you know, issues because of maybe P PTS or a TBI or anything else. And right. so, um, just recognizing that, but um, we do provide a lot of what we call green zone training. So it's kind of a welcome to military 101, and we've done mm -hmm. that for a lot of our faculty and staff. And that has been a difference maker um, for both our students but also our, our faculty and staff. So they have a better understanding of the right. population. But now when those folks go through it and they get a, a sticker that goes up you know, on their wall or whatever else, our students can see green zone. So they know at least they've had some understanding of the military population yeah, yeah, and some of good. the issues. So just it just tears down those little barriers, but mm -hmm. lets them know that, hey, you know, I don't know everything about the military, but I understand a lot of stuff. I'm here to listen. I'm here to help whatever way I can and not judge you for, you know, what may or may not have happened during your time frame while you served yeah. and so forth. So, Well, I definitely think it's an issue that, um, all universities need to take a yeah. look at and um, 
have a statistic here, 57.3% of more veterans uh, commit suicide than non-veterans. I mean, that's an astonishing number. You always hear the, the, the number 22 thrown around. You've seen it yeah, 16 and 22 per day. Um, any, you know, one's too many, of course. And um, it's definitely uh, an issue that, you know, for some reason or another, you know, the military has just struggled with. Well, you know, veterans have struggled with it. Um, uh, you, you just brought up a topic that uh, – so I'm involved in a new um, nonprofit that's being formed right now called the Veteran Resilience Project. And one of the statistics that had just come out, so 20 years of war mm -hmm. between Iraq and Afghanistan, 20 years, we've lost 115,000 military service members to suicide in that 20 years. So nothing's changed. All the money all the resources, the efforts that have gone in place mm -hmm. to try to lower that that number and provide the assistance, nothing seems to be working. And part of this Veterans Resilience Project that I'm involved in with, mm -hmm. you know, some retired generals, some retired officers, uh, enlisted, just people that from all different branches have looked at this issue, they understand it. But part of the problem is there's 45,000 nonprofit veteran or military organizations operate in this country, but they're all operating kind of siloed right. independently. Yeah. And that's part of the issue here is that, you know, we have still high rates here locally, homelessness and a lot of other stuff. We have a lot of great organizations locally, but nobody knows like, where's, where's the clearinghouse? Who's my first, you know, contact that will point me mm -hmm. in the right direction. And sometimes it's, you know, a warm handoff. And so that's kind of what this new resilience project is, is about that. We want to be that, you know, medium that people call, contact, come right. to, and we'll help direct you to the appropriate need. And sometimes, Resource. yeah, resources and so forth. Um, the Army, you know, has done a great job with their resiliency in their five domains that they have. But one of the domains I think that they're critically missing is the financial career portion of it. Mm -hmm. Um you know, you transfer your data in the military. What's one of the biggest concerns you have? It's like, okay, I've got this guaranteed check every two weeks. I got medical benefits, housing allowance, all these other things. Now all of a sudden, what do I do? How do I make up for that? Right. So part of the problem I think that we have in our transition programs is a lot of the folks that work in those transition programs, the folks that were, you know, retired sergeant majors or first sergeants mm -hmm. or retired colonels or whatever. So they've gone from active role in the senior listed in officer ranks straight into this GS role, but they've never really stepped out and been out right. where <laughs> the rubber meets the road and has actually had to make a payroll. And, right. you know, and so part of that issue is they don't really get what, what's really needed on the financial or career side of the house to help these folks long before mm -hmm. they transition out. And so if we did a better job of that, I think that would reduce a lot of the anxiety and things that go into like, how am I going to put food on the table and things are crashing in on me here. But if you've got a good job and something you love to do and you've, you've got the money coming in, mm -hmm. that takes away a lot of the other issues that are, you know, leading to, you know, somebody going down that rabbit hole. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, it's, it's odd that in a lot of ways, the military community, the veteran community reflects society. If you look at most statistics on, you know, things like uh, education um, are pretty similar uh, to the rest of society. But for some reason, that one issue is just – it's just through the roof. Um, but like you said, we've been Excuse at me. war for, for 20 years. I mean, we're 
losing a lot of a lot of veterans um, more in suicide than we are in in casualties. Yeah, yeah. Of, uh, and it's just it's sad. And um, you know, if you're anyone out there that's listening and you're a veteran, you you need some help. The Veterans Crisis Line is nine eight eight. It's a new thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know exactly when it started, but uh, as opposed to nine one one, you can call nine eight eight now. So that's that's a good so thing to have out there. You know, if you need locally help, for call. locally for us, um, Tony Bavaldi with Save the Vet Now has done a phenomenal job, and he's mm-hmm. managed to partner with Coastal Horizons. So Coastal Horizons does a lot of mental health, substance abuse counseling. They're in you know, like fifty eight mm-hmm. counties in North Carolina, but through <clears throat> a partnership with them. If you're a veteran or family member and you're in that space where things are getting to the point where there's no going back, you can go in, won't be charged, you'll be seen immediately. And the big worry with a lot of veterans is, okay, this is going to be reported to the VA, so now this may affect my disability or whatever else. And Mm -hmm. so none of that will be reported to them. So it's just another option that our military folks have that, you know, you, you may already have, you know, caseworkers that you're working with the VA, and there's a lot of great ones there. VA's doing right. a lot. They're, they're, they're trying their best. But here's another entity out in, out in town that's willing to see you because a lot of the same issues that people have with mental health issues or substance abuse are very, very similar mm-hmm. to, you know, what's, what's happening in the military space. And so I think just people understanding that there are a variety of options out there, a variety of resources that they can choose, but please choose something because yeah, something. at the end of the day, you know, it, you'd rather be up, upright and moving forward than, mm-hmm. you know. You don't need a permanent solution to a temporary problem. You always, yeah. you always yeah. hear that. Yes. Um, but I think it's a great thing to have this this veterans crisis line now at 988. Mm-hmm. So um, at least it's, it's a step in the right direction. Uh, I wanted to ask about uh, something else, actually. Sure. Uh, what are, if you're a veteran student, you know, you're coming out of the military. Mm -hmm. What's some advice you would give them to just be a successful student um, when they receive their education? Excellent question. You know, and this is one of the things that all of higher ed wrangles with, um, with their um, non-traditional students, you know, your your older students is, how do you try and offer and get these non-traditional students to accept all the resources and and, and things that the university mm-hmm. has. So if you're an 18 to 20-year-old, 20 22-year-old, um, you know, first time away from home, you go to college campus, your world is just opened up immensely. Right. And it's not just on the academic side. It's all these other social and, well, <laughs> social and student affairs side. So, you right. know, there's 300-plus clubs and organizations on campus. If you can't find something out of one of those 300, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is to entertain you or get involved in, in, in and learn something new about or a passion that you already had to carry on, you're not trying very hard. And so what we try to do, and the hardest thing is, how do you get, you know, these students that are commuter students that may have a family or other outside mm-hmm. responsibilities to still have somewhat of a normal college experience as, as much as you possibly can. So trying to get them involved in, whether it's student government or, you know, some recreation or exercise activities, you know, club sports, um, intramurals or just being involved in, you know, a variety of different, you know, academic programs outside of what they normally, you know, a lot of our, our military students, because when they come, they already have some education, you know, and, mm-hmm. and so they're not straight right from, you know, start one base point, but we have honors programs. A lot of our military students have high GPAs. 
are perfect for an honors program, but they don't think about going into an honors program because they don't see themselves in that that light. Right. But what do the honors programs offer? Very small classes. Get your registration courses up front. Professional draws and opportunities, mm-hmm. and areas to have more group discussion, but on people that are on the same wavelength or have a lot of experiences. And so that has been a little bit of a challenge, but now because we've been working with the honors program and we've had some successful military students come through and it's like, hey, I was the top student in the Cameron School of Business and I went through the honors program. You guys need to think and consider this. It's it's an awesome mm-hmm. opportunity, you know, and a lot of them just don't see themselves in that in that light. So right. again, you know, try, trying to provide as much of a normal, you know, college experience for our mm-hmm. military students as possible, and as well as you know their spouse independence. You know, that's 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 critical. What about mentally? Are are veterans coming in? I'll, I'll just maybe this was this was me when I left the military. Uh, I definitely wasn't as humble as I am now. You know, I I thought it was hot shit. Yeah, I got out yeah. of the military. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I've been to Iraq. I've I've done something <clears> in my life, and then I'm going and sit in a classroom, listen to a lot of time professors that I thought you know I disagreed with on certain oh, things. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, what's what's that mentality like of a veteran that's that's going to school and and you know, do they need to eat some humble pie? To help them um, get through. I, you know, I think eventually. Everyone eats a little slice of humble pie, and yeah. sometimes it happens right away up front. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer. Um, and I've it's just from observing our students over all the years, and um, I know for uh, for some of them they hate group projects with the mm-hmm. younger kids because a lot of the younger kids procrastinate and wait until it's Sunday right. night at nine o'clock. Well, hey, let's get together at the local watering hole. We can come up with it. It's like, no, I, I got to be up at 5 a.m. I got kids. I got a job. No, right. I, I want to get this organized and up done because, mm-hmm. you know, the structure from the military, you're given a task, a mission, you know, the course mm-hmm. assignment, whatever it is, you're going to work on it, get it done and move on to the next thing. And, and so I think, you know, that's always in the back of their mind, but Sometimes I think when they come, they underestimate their skill sets and abilities that they actually mm-hmm. acquired through either experience or just life. And so how do you tease that out and reinforce them that, hey, you got this. You know, hey, it's been, you know, eight, eight years since I had a chemistry class. Okay, so go to a review session beforehand. Mm-hmm. And, and that's one of the other things. There's so many resources available that, you know, their tuition is paying for. So you can go down to the tutoring center or learning center, and usually within a week of just being in there for free resources, you'll figure out where your one little problem is, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're you're moving forward and you're not stressed out about failing a class. And I always tell the students, like, look, you know that 75 or 80% of the students that go to the tutoring center are students that aren't failing. It's students that are getting a B and want to learn how to get an A. Right. Because if you think about the professional schools, if you want to advance yourself to the next level, you got to have good grades. Mm-hmm. If you don't meet those good grades, you're not getting in. And so the difference between maybe you getting into that program is going from a B to an A minus. Well, mm-hmm. let's figure out how that path is. And so a lot of them are just they're afraid to ask for you know what are the what are the resources or things that mm-hmm. I need that can help me. And when they finally realize it, it's like, oh, crap, why didn't I ask you before? Or why did right. you tell me? About- oh, I did tell you a thousand <laughs> times, you know, you knucklehead. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Hello, McFly, you're not listening? But, you know. How, how often does, and maybe this this is a thing, maybe it's not, but you always hear about uh, universities being ultra woke. 
Yeah. Let me just say yeah. that. Yeah. Um, how often does that come in conflict with, <clears throat> with military people? I can't, I have to imagine that most people coming out of the military are more um, right-leaning or at least center, center-right. S- more center um, <laughs> and a little bit to the center-right. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's just a, a, a rub you see all the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you'll get the, the student will come back and, you know, again, coming back to that safe space, you know, right. in, our, in our space and like, God, I'm just in this class. You know, just frustrated. <laughs> on me. He has no idea what he's talking about or she doesn't, you know, force me into this stuff. And I'm like, right. calm down, calm down. Let's, 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 let's talk about this here. And, you know, how did it un- unfold and so forth. But, you know, I think that's, that's something that society in general, and yeah, mm-hmm. it's pervasive on university campuses just because, you know, it gets the, the spotlight a little bit more than mm-hmm. sometimes workplace or somewhere else. But I think as a, as an institution or as a country, um, we've lost the ability to just have good discourse. You know, I remember right. growing up and watching, you know, going to a family reunion or, you know, a, a holiday dinner and watching, you know, aunts and uncles talk about stuff that they didn't get heated, but, you know, they talked about stuff because they right. were polar opposites and stuff. But they had good discourse. Passionate but not personal. Yeah, exactly. And agree to disagree. And that always kind of seemed to be the norm. And that is just totally being, I think, thrown out right now. And it's either you're for this or you're not. And if you're not, guess what? We're going to throw the book at you. And UNCW has been pretty good Mm -hmm. about that. Um, But, you know, I've got colleagues and friends at other institutions and places I know. And it's like, oh, my gosh. I so it's just bad. And, mm-hmm. you know, and you, you hate for that to happen because, you know, if you're old enough and you've grown up to where you've watched, even in politics, where, you know, you had a right or left folks talking and, you know, they can agree to disagree, but it was mm-hmm. good discourse. Right. Now it is just either you're for this or if you're not, you're we're going we're gonna to dig into your back <laughs> family history yeah. and we're going to pull up something from 30 years ago that you may or may not have said or done. And now we're going to tear you right. a new one. And I'm, wow. Yeah. That just, you know, I, I, I guess, you know, maybe, maybe I'm thankful that there were no cell phones and things back when I was going to school. I don't know. But, you know, <laughs> maybe there was something I did. I said, right. I, I don't know. But, you know, it's like, it's just your, uh, it's difficult. And, right. I, and I think the military sees it a little bit more um, readily than normal students just because they've had the experience of being out and about. They've had a worldly experience. Right. right. And so, you know, it's one thing to talk about stuff, about what's happening somewhere else in the world. But if you've actually been there, witnessed it, seen it, being a mm-hmm. part of it, it's more, so different than if you just read it on a news clip or right. in some you know book or something like that. You know, that's... Opinions yeah. formed through experience are real opinions. Yes. Yeah. Um, Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. So just every time I hear about some new, you know, protests or something like that, I know the u- universities are always... Um, the I shouldn't say the university. I should say the the student populace. Sure. And there might be a, um a lot of left leaning, or say left leaning, super far left <laughs> yeah. university professors. Um, I'm always wondering about you know that student that was like me when I when I when I was at school. There's there's zero chance I would would be able to not say anything about these things, you know, there's, there, it just wouldn't happen. I would, I would, there's no way I could sit there and let somebody, you know, say that this, this race of people can't go to school today or something like that. Like there's zero chance that I would have 
been able to put up with that. Um, it's so whenever I see that now, I'm just like, man, what is, what is happening? You know, why, why is this mentality, um, seeped into our universities? You know, there's, the university is supposed to be universal mm-hmm. knowledge, right? It's supposed to be yeah. a place yeah. where people can go, not just to learn, but to grow and evolve sure. their opinions, um, to learn about things that have happened in the world. And, uh, you know, that should be the most open place for discussion that exists. Exactly, exactly. It should be the most open place for anyone with an opinion to to voice that opinion. And, uh, you know, people that have served in the military typically have some strong opinions. That they do. <laughs> and the longer they served, oh, yeah, it must, most definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So I've, I've just always thought about, like, how that interaction occurs um, at the university level. Um Kind of, kind of along the same lines, but uh, in, a, in a different uh, use case of, of wokeness, I guess you could say. Um, they're changing the name of Fort Bragg to mm-hmm. Fort Liberty. Right. Right. Now, uh, I'll give you my, my thought on sure, this. Sure, sure. I'd like to hear You're what you think. Yeah, so, so <clears throat> you know, I don't know how this came about, but, <clears throat> you know, it was decided probably by some, some politicians or something like that that they're going to change the name a Fort Bragg to Fort Liberty. Right. Now, I was just reading a news article that was from WRAL, and it says, um, according to the final report from the Naming Commission, the total cost for all changeovers will cost around $20 million. And we all know in the government context that if that's the figure they provided in the initial report, it's going to probably be... 25 or 30 million right. or and this, even you're more, talking but, about yeah. businesses that have to change signs. Yes. You're talking about highways that, you know, you ha- they have to go, somebody's got to go out there and change it. Mm-hmm. All of the buildings, the maps that have to be updated. Let me yeah. tell you about yeah. updating a map. It's not easy. <laughs> and when you have to update a thousand maps or whatever it is, probably more than that. I mean, we're talking about a major cost just to change the name of a base, and I get it. Braxton Bragg probably wasn't the greatest guy that existed. Mm-hmm. Nobody in history was. But you know, at, at what point do we say, "Hey, if I have to pay for this wokeness, I want to have a voice here." Mm-hmm. Look, this is going to come out of our state taxes, right? Yep. You know, they're definitely going to tax you and me for it. Um, but what are your what are your thoughts on this crazy? Yeah, it, it's interesting, yeah, because. Um, over the last few years, with us having um, a subchapter of the Braxton Bragg chapter of the Association of the United States Army, so I've had oh boy. more interactions of being over at Fort Bragg and being at command events and, and things. Um, and so I've silently listened um, to those that are, you know, served a long time ago and are like opposed to the change. And then mm-hmm. obviously I listen to the new ones that are like, no, we're going to make this change. And, you know, what is the. Um, for the special operations, oppresso de um, oppresso de libertad, or yeah, something, like that. yeah, something like that. It's so Latin. Free the, you know, free, free the, the oppressed, oppressed. and yeah. so, you know, liberty is a, I think, an, it, a, a, an appropriate name for sure. for the operations there. But as somebody that you know has studied history, I've been to where Braxton Bray came from down in Mobile, Alabama area before mm-hmm. came up to in North Carolina. So I've read a lot of the history. He wasn't a very successful military right. tactician, right. or you know, lost a lot of yeah. stuff. 
But when I was reading up on a lot of the history of, of the Bragg name, there's actually a first cousin mm -hmm. that was a general in the Union Army, okay. same last name, who ended up being a congressman from Wisconsin, implemented so many programs that were such a positive influence on you know slavery, getting rid of slavery, um, just so many unique and, and wonderful things that but what if you just kept the last name but changed the first name? Got right. rid of Braxton and used this individual who fought on Nobody the side. Nobody calls it Fort Braxton Bragg. It's just Fort Bragg. Right. Yeah. And so that was discussed from what I had heard. <laughs> it just never was. Um, and so, you know, I, I can't change any of that. You know, mm -hmm. it's if if that's the idea, sure. You know, I'll, uh, you know, fully honor and stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, you're right. It, it's it's gotten to the point where, you know, somebody that has studied history for a long time, um, Again, you know, that old adage of if you don't study history, you're doomed to repeat it. Right. And so if you can't learn from mistakes, um, mm -hmm. how are you going to learn? And so, you know, I just saw where I think some statue at Princeton University, there was two or 300 students that complained because the first president or something of, of Princeton owned two slaves when they came here in the 1700s. Right. And, but they didn't read his full background of what he did and how he ended it. He was a minister and everything else. And so now they're in uproar, want to get rid of all the statues and put up a plaque that says, you know, this guy did this and shouldn't be, you know, whatever. Right. But again, that's a teachable moment that, mm -hmm. yeah, somebody may have had that, but then they learned from everything else and spent right. the better part of their adult life and being at the head of an institution of higher ed mm -hmm. that created opportunities that got rid of all of that. Right. You know, so do you get knocked for something you did when you're first growing up to learn, right? Or do you get credit for all the wonderful things you did post that one instant or or whatever? Well, I certainly think it's there's nothing wrong with having the discussion. Yeah, you know, like yeah. there's nothing wrong with saying, "Hey, we have like here in Wilmington, we have these Confederate statues. I don't even are they still up? Down I, there? I, I think no that, I think they're all been removed into a a, all, a different location. They've all yeah. been taken away yeah. into yeah. hiding. Yeah. yeah, there's nothing wrong with having this discussion, right? Sure. With, with sure. saying. Look, do we really want to have these statues here? Do we really want this this base to be named Fort Bragg? Yeah. But at a certain point, reality sinks in, right? And you have to say, okay, is it worth twenty million dollars to change this name over here, um, or repurpose it or do something else? Sure. And who's to say that five years from now, liberty is not going to be offensive to somebody? It probably already is. There's yeah. probably somebody out there right now who's going, man, you know, liberty's so offensive to me. Everyone just shouldn't have that. You know, there's somebody out there. That's acting like like that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just, and, and that kind of reminds me of I, I watched a, um, a little reel on somebody that had talked about the recent release of Brittany Griner. And, oh gosh, and Don't you know, start with that. If, well, but you know, that's an interesting <laughs> thing to where you know somebody <laughs> chastised our country, talked so negative mm -hmm. about all the different things, and then turn around and it's come back to like, oh, you got to get me out of something that. Was my own fault for what mess I got right. into, and you know, trading off her for you know, the, the merchant of, of death. death. You know, it was like Brittany Griner. Yeah, is a basketball player in the WNBA, yeah. which is barely even a league that can exist because it's all financed by the NBA. Um, the WNBA is so underfunded. That I bought some floor tickets to uh -huh. a, a game up in DC a few years ago. One of the players called me and said, "Hey, thanks for coming to the game. I hope you had a good time. You know, would you like to buy season tickets?" Yeah. 
That's how underfunded <laughs> the WNBA is. Um, it's only underfunded because nobody watches it. Now, I'm I'm not bashed on WNBA. I had a great time. Yeah. I think anybody that likes basketball will really enjoy um there's some fantastic athletes. Oh yeah. But I... <laughs> this is this is not necessarily a rant on on the WN against the WNBA. No. But you know, it's not it's not like Brittany Griner is Michael Jordan, a uh, you know, a universal icon of sure of American um, success. She's a fantastic basketball player, most definitely. Um, but this guy that they let out, his nickname was the Merchant of Death. Look at look at look at, look him up. He could not wait to get involved now in what's going on in Ukraine. This this, this yeah. man is responsible for killing. Thousands of people yeah. through his weapons and arms deals. What I, I just to me it boggles the mind. I say it's the worst trade in sports history. Yeah, yeah, that's that's been <laughs> and, a <laughs> and uh, you know Babe Ruth was once traded from the Boston Red Sox for a musical. Yes, <laughs> to the New York uh, the New York Yankees. So and we all know what happened after yeah that, the Yankees. So, that turned yeah. out to be a pretty bad trade. Yeah. This one's worse. So. Um, but again, I think this this goes back to kind of our earlier thoughts about not having good discourse, and and right. I'm afraid that a lot of our our youth today are growing up without that skill set, partly because mm -hmm. they're so inundated with everything that takes place in that little contraption that's glued to their hand 24 right. seven. Yeah, you know, they're interpersonal to begin with because they're always faced mm -hmm. into you know the phone and and everything else, but um. You know, I, again, how do you have these these conversations? Do you have some context and you have right. some, you know, historical background and you have some, you know, good thought-provoking, mm -hmm. you know, discussions on on stuff? And I think that's just so lacking. Yeah, you want to have the discussions and you want to be open-minded. Yes. But I think yes. it was Thomas Jefferson who said, you want to be open-minded but not so open-minded that your brain falls out. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. And I feel like our brains have just fell out. I feel like so many people are just saying things that are ridiculous I, I just, the things that I read, and of course, just like everybody, I'm on, you know, the internets and the mm -hmm. social media, libs of TikTok, if you ever go on there, it's just, I, it blows my mind, um, the things that people say and think. Uh, it's so wildly different than the way I, I think, which is fine. Uh, not everybody needs to think like me, but it comes down to there's certain truths in, in, in the world, right? And there's a denial of truth happening um, at some of these uh, on some of these accounts that is just so crazy to me. I'm like, how did we get here? But um, anyways, back to the you know kind of the military sure. stuff, which is really your your expertise. Um, you gave some great advice to a veteran that's going to school. You know, kind of take advantage of your resources. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, go, go tutoring. If you have to look at those honors programs, those are some fantastic tips and stuff like that. Um, what, what message do you have for, for veterans out there, you know, to help them succeed in life and, and just in general, because, you know, you're, you're successful. You, you know, you're now mm -hmm. the uh, director of military affairs, it's a great position, you it know, is. um, you, hopefully you get a chance to help a lot of veterans and things like that. Uh, what message do you have for you know, I, I think um, a lot of times 
people do their time in the service, they get out, and I don't think they fully realize uh, all the different skill sets and things that they've acquired. And so sometimes mm-hmm. they question themselves, they second guess. Um, when you get to like university or a new job or, hey, I'm not, I'm not going to apply for that position. Why not? Well, it says it has here, and I'm like, okay, but – do you do realize that a lot of the stuff that you did in the military is very similar to this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I don't know how to describe that. You know, they're just going to see, you know, right. weapons training instructor or this or that. And I'm like, okay, let's back up. What role did you really do? You oversaw, you managed people, mm-hmm. you managed equipment. You got po- people from point A to point B in a safe, you know, in return and everything else. So that's one of the things that there are, there are resources and there are individuals that have great expertise that can help navigate what you did in the military and how it equates to the civilian right. side of the house. And I'm sure you went through this just like I did. How do I, how do I adjust my resume? How do I write my resume from the things that I did in the military mm-hmm. to translate it into somebody who's going to understand that I have some valuable skill sets. I'm going to mm-hmm. show up on time. You know, I don't do drugs. I'm going to be clean natured. I'm going to give you 110% effort. I know how to work in a team in a diverse environment with the most, you know, challenging conditions. Right. And I'm going to have a smile on my face and I'm going to work until the mission's done. Oh my God, how many people would, you know, that are hiring out there would love to have somebody mm-hmm. that knew how to describe that exactly. Right. You know, and you look at, so many positions that are open and, and that's a frustrating thing to look around and you see you go into a fast food restaurant here and you know a sign says you know hiring need help $19 an hour $20 an hour and you walk in and right. kids are scrolling on their phone not helping it takes 10-15 minutes to get a you know an order of a hamburger <laughs> and french fries you know it's just well, a, lot, a lot of the fast food places <clears throat> now just straight up they close yeah. the the interior and they're they going to open, kiosks they just oh. have the drive through yeah. or they have a kiosk in there kiosk. you just punch it in yourself and that's yeah. Those those jobs are done. <laughs> I think yeah. robotics and AI, they'll that'll, they'll figure that out pretty pretty swiftly. There's already kitchens that exist where the robot just does everything. You know, and you were kind of equating to this a little bit earlier and in, in getting to this point. And you know, I can't tell you how many times, uh, just because you know, if you've been in a place long enough, you you know enough people and the processes mm-hmm. and everything else. And I have this little, you know, secret uh, like memory bank that. Every time I talk to a certain faculty member or a dean or associate dean, mm-hmm. I said, man, I would love to have more of your military students in my class. Oh, my God. It's mm-hmm. just, you know, when they're in there, they're kind of like my go-to person to ask a question. And a lot of them, you know, it's like when they speak, you know, the other students just kind of like pay attention and listen up and, and, mm-hmm. and know it's coming from, you know, a position of, hey, I've been there. I've d- actually done that. Right. And, you know, to watch some of our students, um, you know, become like the top student in – this particular college for graduation. And, you know, it's yeah. like, it, it's, I feel so happy for them to know that, hey, the top kid in the Cameron School of Business or this mm-hmm. program in the College of Health and Human Services just got recognized and is a military student, you mm-hmm. know, because a lot of times they don't see themselves as being, a you know, that top student. But to get rewarded in that, I love to highlight that and put it all over our webpage or in information out because, mm-hmm. It sends a, a definite message to all of our new students coming in. Hey, look, you've got all the skill sets, abilities. This is you in, in three years, two years time frame. That's where I want to see you because I know you can do it. And they start looking around. And it's like, oh, God, this is, you know, mm-hmm. for I think it was um, 2017 to 2019, 
for those uh, like four, five semesters, like three out of the four top students that graduated in like the business school were military students. And it was like, that's awesome. And would you think that that would have been the case? And if you would have yeah. asked or if you would have pulled those students when they first arrived on campus, you know, the top students in, you know, College of Arts and Sciences program is military. You know, that the, they're, they would probably say, no, there's mm -hmm. no way. So, you know, trying to get them to understand you've got these, don't doubt yourself. Just like you tell them, in, you know, in the military, hey, you got this, you're going to do this, this, and this. I'll be back to check on mm -hmm. you. Well, you're sure they're going to do it. And they believe in themselves because that's how you're, you're trained right. and everything else. Just getting to understand that that also applies to your education or your first job or anything else when you get out of the military. So, okay. So, so for veterans out there, why should they choose UNCW specifically? Now, now we talked about Veterans Hall, yes. which is pretty compelling. That, in my that's, a, that's a big draw, but I think it's also it's the quality of the academic programs that we offer. Um, a lot of your bigger name schools, um, and rightfully or wrong, you know, there's nothing wrong with this, but when you get to a bigger name school, a lot of times your, your lower level and mid-level courses are taught by a grad student or a teaching assistant. Right. And there's nothing wrong, they're knowledgeable and everything else. But here at UNC Wilmington, almost entirely your faculty, your, your PhD, because they love to teach, um, are the ones teaching your class. And mm -hmm. they put such a high emphasis on undergraduate research. So if you wanna be involved in doing research with your faculty in whatever course, topic, mm -hmm. uh, area of interest that you have, those opportunities are, are encouraged at UNCW. And what that does is it gives you an opportunity to really have some face time with that faculty outside of just that lecture session. Mm -hmm. You're actually in a lab, you're working on a project, a mission, or whatever it may be, and you're getting real-world experience. And then along the way, you may be part of a journal submission and publication or going to a state or national conference and presenting on the mm -hmm. work that you've all collectively done. That's a resume builder. That's right. an opportunity for you to to shine in a different area that you didn't think was possible because I was only restricted to just being in the classroom or maybe writing a paper or whatever it is. Or, well, that'll happen when I get to grad school. No, we cultivate that and support that here, that applied learning initiative and engagement, but also undergraduate research. And I can't tell you how many times that has been the difference maker for when the student wants to progress on to the next level is, hey, I've got in. Well, yeah, I've got all this already research experience right, right. and everything else that I've already had. Whereas you get to Chapel Hill or somewhere else, it's like, well, that doesn't happen until I'll, you know, I'm in grad school. Mm -hmm. And you know, I'll, I'll add one thing to that, which is locally here in Wilmington, mm -hmm. we have a great veteran community. Oh, God, yes. You look at the Veteran Business Collective, which actually we have a chapter meeting here yes. coming up. Yep. And um, it's, it's a lot of fun. You know, we all get together, hang out, drink beer too, Tell, network. Yep. And more importantly, help each other succeed. You see a lot exactly. of the businesses that are forming around that. And um, I think it's just a great, we have a great veteran community here and we're totally welcoming to the veterans. That it's uh, interesting, uh, right before Secretary Wilkie, um, you know, after the election and then was no longer their secretary of the VA, um, I was at an event and I had met and had the opportunity to have multiple conversations with, with them over the years. And, you know, he had stated back then that if nothing had changed, nothing changes in the current track of how things are unfolding, North Carolina by 2030 will have the largest 
home to veterans in the country, overtaking mm -hmm. California, Florida, Texas, and Virginia. Mm -hmm. The two fastest VA medical centers in the country are Wilmington and Fayetteville. That says something. Oh, yeah. And when you look at the number of military personnel that are, are coming here to southeastern North Carolina, and now obviously with, with the state finally approving the, you know, no tax on retirement stuff, you know, it's oh, just a big deal. Yeah. Oh, and it's a huge deal. So it's so just all. Can, can you talk about that a little bit? Like what, sure, what, sure. what happened there? As far as. What, what, what specifically, you said the, the state is no longer taxing. So for a while, a lot of, um, Military retirees would obviously pick a state like Florida, Texas that didn't have, you know, state tax mm -hmm. on your income. And so you're on a fixed income when you retire out of the military. You, you, hey, if you can get an economic economic advantage of five, ten thousand a year and not getting taxed on, hey, that's important. So obviously our legislature had figured this out that, you know, maybe mm -hmm. that's the program we should implement. And they did uh, a couple of years ago. And now I think they're seeing the huge returns on that critical legislative yeah. decision that, you know, if we keep the people here, okay, we don't tax the retirement, but what are they going to do with that retirement money? Yeah. They're going to be spending it on all the goods and services and other things right here right. in the state and reinvesting in, in, mm -hmm. and so forth. And it turns into, you know, their kids or grandkids going to school here and the whole nine yards. And so, um, I think that's, uh, another focus plus the fact that, you know, we have Seymour Johnson, you know, a wonderful, mm -hmm. Air Force Base. We've got the Coast Guard and different sectors here. Also, Campbell's Union and Fort Bragg and, and, and so forth. Uh, there is so much here that, you know, not just draws people here, but I think keeps them here. And we'll yeah, see so if you're, a, if you're a veteran yeah. and you're retiring, you want to move to North Carolina because you're not going to pay tax on and your, on your, on your income. Yep, that's correct. So uh, I just brought this up. So uh, here in New Hanover County, we're roughly around eight percent veterans mm -hmm. here. That's a, that's a massive population of veterans. I think it's higher than that. Uh, Brunswick it, County it probably is. This looks like this is from 2017. Yeah. This is from um, VA.gov, and then the total um, veteran population, North Carolina ranks number seven in total veteran population of around 730 thousand. But that this is again, this is from 2017. Correct. Uh, and you see, obviously, the concentration near the near the military. Mm -hmm. Bases. So. That's where your resources at. So those things are all important. One of the things that um, the state has been working so diligently on the last three, four years, um, I mean, concerted wise, an effort is so we have like the third, you know, largest military population, if you mm -hmm. include active duty, reserve guard, and veteran in the country. But when it comes to bringing DOD dollars for for investment in infrastructure and, and money. Who's, who's first and second? California and Texas, probably? Yeah, Florida, yeah, Virginia. Yeah, just so, massive right. states anyways. Okay. But we're like number 23 or number 26 in that. Mm -hmm. And so we've been working extremely hard. And I say we, there's a lot of different entities uh, within North Carolina. And it, it's it's really starting to pay dividends, um, having the right personnel there, defensive-wise, yeah. North Carolina, yeah. and military business center, uh, lots of different things. And, and uh it's just good to see this concerted effort, but getting people to talk about, well, how do we keep the jobs here in North Carolina? How do we bring, you know, research mm -hmm. dollars or DOD funds for certain things here in North Carolina? And apart from agriculture, that's the second biggest industry in North Carolina is the military. Yeah. What, $70 billion or close to that? I mean, it's, that's, <laughs> it's no chump change, you know, it's, so we've got something really good going on here in, in North Carolina, especially here in Southeastern North Carolina.
All right. One last thing I want to want to bring up, and then we can <coughs> we can sure. call it a day and move on with our lives. We're busy people. We all have things to do. Um, so I have some information here from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, and it's it's interesting because um, you have high school graduates with no college. Uh, you know, veterans are roughly on point with non-veterans at around twenty nine percent. Where it gets interesting though is where it says some college no degree. On veterans, you have about twenty three percent. And on non-veterans, you have uh, roughly around 19%. So that means there's a lot of veterans out there that have college, but they don't complete their degree. Yeah. Um, and then if you go into associates, you have slightly higher bump for veterans. And then bachelor's degree is roughly on par with the rest of the population, around 19%. Um, so, But what this data suggests is that there's a lot of veterans out there that just aren't a few things they can do to just complete their school, sure. get that degree, um, which should obviously help with employment and things like that, aside from just being a, a good time in school and getting that's, that's <laughs> actually, learning some things. That's actually been uh, for the last, <coughs> excuse me, about three or four years, the university system, so all 16 campuses, the legislature, mm-hmm. We've all been working on, there's about, out of the 10 million plus people that now reside in North Carolina, about a million of them mm-hmm. have started some type of college, whether it's a you know, community college or university, but never finished. So mm-hmm. then push is, let's try to get these folks to somehow finish, two-year, four-year. Yeah. And so what they're putting in is a lot of new pathways that, okay, you know, I started school uh, you know, 15 years ago and life happened. I got a job. I was, I was a business major, and now I'm working in a chemical company doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, geez, if I go back to school, am I going to have to take all these prerequisites to get back in? Do I really want to do business degree? I've been in chemistry or whatever right, it is. Right. So figuring out programs that they can offset that and still give you credit for. Well, maybe you don't have to. We can do an interdisciplinary, you know, degree to get you mm-hmm. that final degree because sometimes that's the only thing holding you back from getting a promotion is you don't have the actual degree. So they've been concentrating on this um, from the military side of the house. Again, you know, life happens. And so okay. is it a choice between putting right on the table or going back to school? You know, how Do am you I think finish? the military, <clears throat> service in the military, should be equivalent of having a college degree? Uh, I, th- I think it would be on the number of years that you have served. And it okay. could be staggered. Um, not a full college degree, but bare minimum an associate's degree and certain mm-hmm. things, especially if you've done, you know, eight, 10 years. I mean, right. definitely. Um, but I think right now, one of the other areas that has been challenging in the state is working extremely hard in the university system is, and they're in the process of finalizing, finalizing this is, there's no one set database or system that says, I went in the U.S. Army, uh, made it all the way up to E6. I went to right. all these professional schools. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. What does that translate to? Now they're actually having a system that says, okay, you can quickly go in, punch in, okay, nine years of service, U.S. Army. I've been to 17 different schoolhouses, certificates, programs here, and I'm interested in right. this program. Within a minute, it spits it out and says, okay, we'll give you 48 credits towards a degree in this as yeah. opposed to you just getting, you know, six to, six credits or something else. Mm-hmm. So you're actually getting credit for prior learning. Mm-hmm. And they're understanding that a lot of these military trainings and schoolhouses, they just never had access to like mm-hmm. all the curriculum and what's really involved. Now having that and being vetted, um, I think that with the addition of the mm-hmm. forever GI Bill, 
because you know these changes have all come right. out in the last you know four years. Um, that's now creating opportunities that okay may take me a little bit longer, but I am now going to finish because now I have a, a definite path. I'm getting actually credit for the things that I did. Mm-hmm. I no longer have an expiration date on those benefits that I education benefits that I earned. You know, and I say right. earned because a lot of people think, oh, you were given those benefits. No, them, no I earned those benefits. Oh, I, had to buy, I had to buy into the GI Bill. <laughs> yeah, same here. Yeah. It was like 600 bucks a month or something like yeah, that. Yeah, Montgomery GI Bill back in the yeah. – it, it wasn't cheap. No. Um, so, okay, you know, obviously uh, somehow we have to pull the veterans in, back yep. into the school. Yep. I could have a whole other discussion about oh, sure. whether – no, we don't need, we don't need to get to uh, <laughs> part two about, the, you know, about yeah. the university system itself and you know how that I, I believe that needs to be changed soup to nuts. Um, but there's some there's some great qualities to to the current system and you certainly wouldn't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. But um, yeah, was, was there anything else you wanted to discuss before we hop off? No, this has been uh, this has right. been wonderful. I appreciate the opportunity. Um, always in. Always love engaging with you, Nick, and, right. and uh, your background and, and and interest and so forth. But you know, you, you brought up some things here locally, like the Veterans Business Collective and a lot of you know military organizations, entities. And you know, again, unless we have individuals like you that also support the military and veteran community, that's essential. And, and you know, we need more businesses mm-hmm. and industries and so forth to take a page out of your notebook and and implement that in local communities because that does make a difference. And when people see that, I do have an opportunity that I don't have to go to DC mm-hmm. or, you know, LA or, or Austin or something to have a prominent career in a field right. that's, you know, right here locally, that's a need for everywhere. I mean, those, those things are important. So I, I appreciate what you do and what you have done for GWAL in our community here. And hopefully others will take note and uh, do the same. Awesome. Well, I will put, information for you in the description YouTube so that okay. if anybody wants to get a hold of Bill at the uh, Office of Military Affairs at UNCW. Um, and then while you're at it, why don't you subscribe while you're there? So we'll do. We'll appreciate do. it. I appreciate the time. Thanks.